turn with me to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, one that we understand that he dictated to his amanuensis, his scribe, while in bonds in a prison cell. Today is an unusual day. It's the last Lord's Day when Rich and Beth plan to be with us, with their children, with Claire, and with Levi, and with Sydney. And this reminds me, I think some of you know, there's a phenomenon that in, the, in, the, in areas where there have been grizzly attacks, and I promise to connect grizzly attacks with the Sevillas leaving, you're like, that's weird. You'll get it in a moment. That when someone's attacked by a grizzly bear and their adrenaline as a gift of God kicks in to protect them from that very visceral pain they would feel initially, Without exception, when they get into a vehicle, into a plane, into an ambulance where they're safe, they're able to feel that pain, the pain of, of the injury that's, the injuries that they've received at the hands of a grizzly bear. And so I'm giving you permission today, I grant you permission for the adrenaline to wear off in this day. We know it's been coming And to feel sad, it's far better to feel sad, to want to cry, to cry over friends who, when they walked in, I remember meeting them, fall of 2012, I think, Claire, you were four, and I think Levi was just a little guy, and Sydney was only contemplated in the heart of God. She had not made the scene yet, and we met you 10 years ago, this fall, fall of 2012. So this morning, this message, I thank my God from Philippians 1, 3 through 5 as part of us saying goodbye. We understand it's a so long, it's different, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But far better to say so long to someone you've loved and partnered in the gospel than to have never had it at all. And so, this is not a worship service to worship Rich and Beth, but it is certainly a worship service where we thank our God for you. Just a thought for you, for all of us. If you think about this, you and I live in a world of hellos and goodbyes. You know, often for six years when we were on the subway in Beijing, we would just chat people up, especially if we were meeting foreigners and we could talk English. We'd just chat them up, up, and then they would get off at a subway stop, and we'd go on. Sometimes we never traded contact information. And so when we said goodbye, it was like the, the goodbye, right? Your chances of meeting them on a subway again was really rare. Have you ever thought about the difference between, though, a temporary goodbye and a permanent one? That one when you're thinking, I'll never see you again, like the one I just mentioned. All right. One has but a wave of the hand and a smile. The other, this lingering embrace and eyes either welling or flowing over and out with tears. 
You know a temporary goodbye. It's like that moment when you'll say goodbye. Some of you will say goodbye today at 12.15, 12.20 to someone here, like maybe right there, right there, and you know you'll see them again at 5 o'clock today for our evening gathering. But the more permanent goodbye is when you know it's likely that our paths will never cross again or one of you will go through that veil of death over the river of Jordan. And yet we know, praise God, that for the Christian, it is not death to die, right? Like in the ultimate sense. And so this morning, I want us to think of a theology of departure for how we are to respond when we have something in that middle earth, that middle ground between a temporary goodbye and a permanent one. Not just a wave of the hand, but not like Paul in Acts 20, where Paul and the Ephesian elders said their goodbyes to each other. And Paul knew that it was it, that this was it. Paul had told them that they would never see his face again. Listen for a moment as Luke poignantly describes this scene at the end of Acts 20. And it says, he writes, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Now, I know some of you will not cry. I'm typically, I don't tend to cry in moments like this. But for me, every Sunday to be here and to see my brother on the piano, and often I would look at him, he may not even knew it, but sometimes I think you do it. I'm looking at Rich, in my mind is a practical fulfillment of Paul speaking of singing to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And so for me, 15 feet away from Rich playing and singing is a brother that I love. And a family that we love. And so today we come to this point, this middle earth, between a temporary goodbye and a permanent one. And I just want to say, guys, don't worry. Rich Beth, Claire, Levi, Sydney, we're not ghosting you from this point. You're always welcome. Let's just get that out of the way. And lest I forget at the end, this is what I'd like. When we come and we have our, when I'm done preaching, we have our closing song. And we're going to have something for the Sevillas in a word of prayer. And we're going to sing this from Psalm 120. I think we're singing, actually, uh, the Jordan song, right? What's the name? On Jordan Stormy Banks. I want to invite you symbolically to come out of your seats, those of you who would like to, and come forward. We'll have Rich and Beth and the children up here. But to come and move towards them. Don't wave goodbye from a distance. Move towards them. Let's express our love even with physical proximity at the end of our time. And so this morning we're giving this thankful see you later to Rich and Beth and their children as they transition to another church. We don't need to be aggravated or angry that they before before. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one before whom they stand and will stand and before whom they'll give account. 
have before the Lord said, for the sake of our family, for our souls, in the overall picture, we need to go to another church. They've been with us, and we've been with them for 10 fruitful years. And in no way am I trying to equate this with Paul's goodbye to the Ephesian elders, okay? But neither is it simply, oh, we'll just see you again next week. We're in that middle ground, that middle earth. I want us to move then to the text. I think we'll find Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is helpful here. Even his opening prayer. Primarily just three little verses. I want you to think about these verses. All week I've been just meditating on these and thinking about connecting this with this theology of departure. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's three things, really four that I want us to see in these verses. I know that sounds like the Proverbs 3 and then 4, right? But there's three and really four I want us to see in these verses. So here's my outline in three points, and then there'll be a a bonus in verses 6 through 11. First, I want us to see a grateful remembering. Number one, a grateful remembering. Number two, I want us to see a joyful prayer making. A joyful prayer making. And number three, a hope rooted in a shared gospel. A hope rooted in a shared or you could say common gospel. Number one, a grateful remembering from verse Three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Number two, a joyful prayer making. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And then thirdly, a hope rooted in a shared gospel from verse five. Because or on account of your partnership, and that word there can be translated fellowship. It's the word koinonia, what we have in common from the first day until now. From that day when he met them, and there was the makings of a church in Acts 16, until the moment that he is dictating this letter to the amanuensis in a prison cell. Well, how do we develop a theology of departure from this prayer, this message I've entitled, I Thank My God? I want you for a moment to camp on these phrases. Again, we're focusing here particularly on verses 3 through 5. Paul is not simply saying he's grateful. We make expressions like that, I'm grateful But in all its simplicity, he says, I thank my God. He says, I thank my God. Not simply, I'm grateful. Not simply, I thank God. But I thank my 
God. Some of you who were here Wednesday night know that when you see this word from Eucharist, what we say, we call, some people call communion, the Lord's Supper. The Eucharist is where we get this word grace. It means to thank. Eucharistia is thanksgiving. Eucharisteo, to give to thank. And it's as though it's an acknowledgement of God's grace here. It's a specifically grateful remembrance on Paul's part. Have you ever thought that a non-Christian can express gratitude? But a distinctly Christian expression of gratitude looks like this. I thank my God. And so the beginning point of Paul, as he contemplates his Philippian brothers and sisters, is actually God. It's not them. He begins with God, and he moves toward them. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What's this idea of remembrance? When I was seven or eight years of age growing up in South Florida, I remember I had this older lady that was attempting vainly to teach me to play the piano. And she had on the grand piano, like right there where the Trinity hymnal is, this thing called a nanomic or mnemonic, something like this, M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C device. And it was supposed to keep, like she'd set it to 72 or 80 or whatever. And I was supposed to play in time with that. Well, that went okay. <laughs> that went okay. I wasn't that good at it. All right. To keep me, like Cheryl could acknowledge, keeping you on time is difficult. All right. All right. But that was the goal. And that's this word here for remembrance. Not this spastic, irregular remembrance, but a regulated and steady remembrance, kind of like you would expect from a, an apostle who wrote in First Thessalonians, pray without what? Seizing. And in this little letter that we've noted a few weeks ago, 14 times you find the word of, you find the word joy or rejoicing, and knowing that in all Paul's letters, some 50 times, three to four times per letter, he's expressing thanks. Sometimes I thank, sometimes we thank, sometimes we thank God constantly. But this gratitude that's regulated, like that thing that was trying to keep little Mark Hatfield on pace in his piano lessons, is to be God-centered. It begins with God. It's not spastic and irregular, but it's rhythmic, it's regular. And we may do that, not just for those who come, but for those who go. And we don't need to think about what we've lost, but how we've benefited from Rich and Beth their family, their life, their ministry. And you can imagine Paul here, and I've just mentioned three. You know those first probable converts in Philippi, in Acts 16. It's very simple. There was Lydia, 
And that first Sunday when Paul and his companions, after hearing the Macedonian call, they heard, they thought that by the river would be a place of prayer. And they found an opportunity for the gospel, probably for prayer also. But there's the first convert. We know her name, Lydia. We know what she did. She was a seller of purple fabrics. And Paul and them, they're sharing. And always, all we hear, like, God, he opens Lydia's heart to believe the message of the gospel. So I want you to imagine, as Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. There's Lydia and this parchment's rolled open. And the church at Philippi is hearing this letter read for the first time. And there's Lydia and her family right there on the second row trying to keep her four-year-old. No, you, you pay attention, pay attention. And there was that slave girl there was that slave girl that was harassing Paul. You, can, you might even turn there for a moment to Acts 16. You can read about her. They were met in verse 16 by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and had brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us and crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. True, but to Paul and the apostles, irritating. Maybe it's kind of like your five-year-old son telling you 48 straight times and trying to kiss you on the lips that he loves you, mommy. I love you, mommy. I love you, mommy. I love you, mommy. True, but hey, can you dial it down just a little bit for a moment? And it says in 1618, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, well, that gives me hope. Having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, hmm, to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And so in that second row was Lydia, the seller of purple fabrics, whom the Lord had opened her heart. And then right over there is this slave girl who God had rescued. There's one more. You know the story. Paul and Silas were in prison. And they're singing hymns. This begins, this whole story begins in Acts 16, verse 25. They're singing hymns. And everyone's listening. They had a, literally a captive audience. We might say it that way, right? Okay. They had a captured audience. And there was this great earthquake. And you can imagine the foundations of prison are shaken. Everyone, the doors are open. Everyone's essentially free. Their bonds are unfastened. And the jailer wakes up, he sees the doors open, and he's about to commit suicide. He's undone. There's no hope. But he's, right? But Paul's like, no, do not harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights. He rushed in, and he fell down before these imprisoned apostles, Paul and Silas. And he He brought them out and he said, look, just one simple question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, here it is, the shortest sermon ever, gospel focused. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And it says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them 
the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. That he had believed in God. And just like Lydia came to faith. The Lord opened her heart as she was baptized. She professed her faith publicly as did her household. And she showed this hospitality to the apostles where she says, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And Luke says, and she prevailed upon us. Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And we are able to do the same even with Rich and Joy, with Rich and Beth, and to do this with Joy. And that brings us to our second point. Not only do we see here a grateful remembering, we see this joyful prayer making. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, right, across the hours of the clock, always, at all times, in every prayer for you all, making my prayer with joy. This is joyful prayer, but it's more. And the word here translated prayer could be translated petition. It's like coming to God and saying, look, Lord, We've got 114 signatures on this petition. And Paul simply, he didn't simply sit on his haunches, if you will, and just have kind of sentimental thoughts about the Philippian believers, about the church there in Philippi. He said, I thank God in all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy for you all. It's more than joyful prayer. It is that, but it's more. It's Paul with joy, that fruit of the Spirit, making, creating, forming, expressing, breathing his prayer to God for his brothers and sisters in Philippi from his jail cell. making a prayer even to the Father in the name of the Son and independence on the Holy Spirit. What about this word making? I want you to think about that. You know the difference between someone says, do you want coffee? And you say yes, and they put a cup and they just pour water, they pour coffee in and they give it to you. But when a Brit says, can I make you a coffee? it looks something like this. I want to illustrate this idea of making if you've ever thought about it a little differently. The actual making of the coffee takes about eight or nine minutes, but I'm going to tell you the illustration in less than that. You're in my home, and I ask you, can I make you a coffee? And you say, that'd be great. And so I pull out the tray that's been in our family for 50 years I inherited from my mother, the coffee tray with the bamboo bottom. And I take the French roast coffee beans and pull down the grinder, and I'm going to grind that fresh for you. Then I put it under your nose, and I, do you like that? Is that good? That's great. 
And then I emptied my French press because I forgot to empty it from the last time I had coffee a few hours earlier, and I washed that out. And I've got, now I filled up the kettle on the back of the stove. We're old school here, and it's warming. It's getting to the point it's ready to whistle. And now it's three level tablespoons in my mini French press. And it's boiling, and I pour that in, and I set my timer for four minutes. And now I take that tray, and I grab the half and half from the refrigerator, and I get a cup out of the cupboard that I think matches perfectly for you, maybe even the one with the chip that I love so much on it. And there's the tray, and I put that cup, and I put the half and half, and maybe if there's a few of you, I've poured the half and half into like a nice little pitcher. And there's two teaspoons, a dry and a wet. And the timer goes off. And now I plunge that French press. And I pour it in the cup for you. Oh, you're in the living room. Let me bring it to you. Let me serve you. I fulfilled the question of the Brit. Would you like me to make you a coffee. I've made you one. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Making, making my prayer for you all with joy. With joy. It's Paul. Paul's not simply stepping up to a Keurig here and instantly producing a cup. He's making his prayer with joy in every prayer of his for them. And rather than that simply being like joyful prayer, I want you to contemplate as we pray with and for Rich and Beth today that the very contemplation of at the end of our service, Pastor Jamie's going to come up and pray for us. He'll be our voice peace. And we're going to pray for you guys, your family of five. We're going to endeavor to make that prayer with joy. Not only a grateful remembering, not only a joyful prayer making. But we find here in this passage a hope that's rooted in a shared gospel. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always making every prayer of mine for you all, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And here's what he says, because. And I want you to think about that word, because. It's a word that can be translated many ways, but he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You were there. They did not know it. When Lydia was by that river outside of Philippi, and these men whom she had never seen before, men who had heard the Macedonian call, call, come over here and help us, how would she know that she would be that first convert from Philippi? She would be the first in Philippi to offer hospitality to Paul and his companions. 
that from there a church would be formed. And that out of that church and to that church, a little epistle, four chapters, some hundred plus verses, one of Paul's 13 letters, one of the 27 books of the New Testament would be preserved for us so that 2,000 years later, we might be sitting here thinking about Lydia and the slave girl and the Philippian jailer. And Paul says it's because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They didn't forget Paul. He said, you were with me, not just then, but all the way. They gave a picture of that phrase, of that proverb, a friend loves at all times. They had a root, a hope that was shared, that was rooted in a shared gospel. When you read that word there in verse 5, because of your partnership, that's the idea of fellowship. It's koinonia. Kids, some of you have pennies. Who has a penny bank? Does anyone have something, a jar with pennies? You understand. Okay. And so we share, those, those, those are called coins. It's the root word. It's related to koinonia. So that if you give me a nickel, or two nickels, I'll give you a dime. If you give me a, a nickel, I'll give you five pennies. Because we've agreed that in common, that's common currency that we've agreed to exchange. And Paul says, as he's writing to the church at Philippi, he is saying to them, he said, we linked arms. We had the gospel in common from the first day until this very moment. And it brings us to the bonus now. And that's what we see in verses 6 through 11. I want you to see Paul's confidence there. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's placing in parallel this idea of the day. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and then he springs and points forward saying, And I am sure of this, being sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, even in those early days when the church was formed in Philippi and God was bringing you to faith in Christ, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's Paul's confidence. And then we see Paul's affection. Look at this. He says, it is right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. And then he says, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Rich and Beth, Claire and Levi and Sydney, we hold you in our heart. And nothing will ever change that. We thank God for you. We honor you. And we're grateful for these years that we've had together. I want to, just for a moment, I want to take a little bit of Samuel Rutherford and his dedication to his book, The Trial and Triumph of Faith. And I want you to think about this affection that we may have for one another because of the great affection that Christ Jesus has for us. And if you've never heard Samuel Rutherford, this is going to feel like a little bit of heaven 
you probably need to hear it again and again, and I will endeavor to get this up on our Facebook page that you might hear it more and more. But this is what he writes. Understanding that this affection that Paul had for the Philippians, that he calls every Christian to have towards one another, whether we're coming or going, whether we're seeing each other for the first day or maybe for the last. It's to reflect something. It's to find its roots in the affection of Christ. And so Samuel Rutherford writes this, and bear with me. Should Christ, number one, should Christ, number two, the condition of affairs we are now in, number two, three, the excellency of free grace, be seen in all their own luster and dye, that is color, we should have much wisdom from these. He says, Christ speedeth little in conquering lovers. Now follow me. Because we have not seen his shape at any time. We look not upon Christ, but upon the accidents that are beside Christ. And therefore, few esteem Christ a rich pennyworth. And so even then now as Rich and Beth leave, if we simply see them leaving rather than seeing behind their leaving, the goodness and the providence and the kindness of God that are ours in Christ. We won't esteem Christ well. We won't esteem Christ a rich pennyworth. He says, but there is not a rose out of heaven. But there is a blot and thorn growing out of it. Except that one only rose of Sharon. Which blossoms out glory. And of that rose of Sharon of Christ. Rutherford says this. Every leaf of the rose is a heaven and serves for the healing of the nations. Every white and red in it is incomparable glory. Every act of breathing out its fragrance or its smell from everlasting to everlasting is spotless and unmixed happiness. Christ is the outset, the master flower, the uncreated garland of heaven, the love and joy of men and angels. But the fountain love, the fountain delight, the fountain joy of men and angels is more. For out of it floweth all the seas, springs, rivers, and floods of love, delight, and joy. And he says this. Now listen, he's going to do a comparison. He says, imagine all the rain and dew, seas, fountains, and floods since the creation were in one cloud, and these multiplied in measures for number from one to many millions of millions, and then those divided in drops of showers to an unanswerable number of men and angels, this should be a created shower and end in a certain period of time. In this huge cloud of so many rivers and drops should dry up and rain no more. He's basically saying, if you can imagine the Atlantic Ocean draining dry. Now he's going to compare that to Christ. And again, the subject is to think of the affection of Christ for us and how then we might have it for others like Rich and Beth as Paul had it for the church at Philippi. He says, but we cannot conceive so of Christ. For if we should imagine millions of men and angels to have a co-eternal dependent existence with Christ and they receive, and they eternally in the act of receiving grace for grace out of his out of his fullness, 
That's from John, John's gospel. He says, the flux and issue of grace should be eternal as Christ is. In other words, the Atlantic Ocean could drain dry, but we cannot drain dry the grace upon grace out of Christ's fullness for us. And this is what he says. For Christ cannot tire or weary from eternity to be Christ. And so he must not, he cannot but be an infinite and eternal flowing sea to diffuse and let out streams and floods of boundless grace. Say that that rose is eternal. The sweet smell, the loveliness of greenness and color must be eternal. And so I say to you this morning, even if you're watching by live stream, You cannot drain dry the riches of the glory of the grace upon grace that are found in the Son of God. And so today, without aggravation, but with joy and with acceptance of this moment, we may say, as we think of a theology of departure, we may trust God for the mutual benefit that we've received knowing that God is bigger than one family moving on. I mean, we had another family return to Los Angeles, you know, two months ago. And we may do this with joy and not be believing that somehow now we're drained dry from the love of God. And so we may say today with full hearts to Rich and Beth and to their children, we hold you in our hearts. We will yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. We will rejoice in coming years to know of God's sustaining, preserving grace in your family. We promise to do that. And there's Paul's affirmation there. He says, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, you were there. And so he finishes. He finishes with this multi-form petition of verses 9 through 11. Look what he says. And it is my prayer. It's very interesting. He's spoken of prayer. That in every prayer of mine for you all, I'm making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And now we see a bit of the content of that prayer. And I want you to notice there. Look at the breadth of this prayer. Look at love. Look at blamelessness. Look at fruitfulness. And look at the glory and praise of God as the end. And so Pastor Jamie, even as we pray for them, I wish that we could use Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11 as we pray for you. Paul says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. This is our prayer for you all. A love that is marked by knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellence. We would take no joy to know anything but that your love is abounding more and more in coming years to your whole family. So that you may approve what is excellent, right? 
And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There's that day. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Rich and Beth. We thank God for you. We will endeavor in future years to thank God for you and all our remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of ours for you all, making our prayer with joy for you all because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'd like, Rich, this might be a little bit awkward because we're going to have you on the piano. Can the worship team come forward and, yep. And I want, if, if you're in the congregation and you would like, I'd like us to, Pastor Jamie, if you'll step up forward here too. Pastor Scott as well as one of our elders. But I would like us, um, as a church, feel free to come up and move in just, this is our last time with them. Come out of your seats if you'd like and come up, spread across here, draw more near, if you will. Come on up. There's no need. Don't be shy. Yep. And then Rich. In fact, let's do this. Before we do the song, if you come on up, Rich and Beth and your children. All right. If you'll do that. I want to give thanks. Uh, we want to give credit to... Um, maybe we can get the picture. Do we have the picture on the tech? This is for you guys. Um, you may see, it's got a picture of a handsome rich. That's your best that's side. All right, yeah, that's your best side. Mostly piano. Yeah, and if you can't see it, it says, With grateful hearts, we the people of Grace Baptist Church of Taylor's present this to Rich Sevilla for his faithful service as music pastor. May the Lord continue to guide and direct you. And by that you, it's the second person plural, you all, in the southern vernacular for the whole family. And then it's got a song that we know Rich particularly loves, Oh Love, That Will Not Let Me Go. So this is for you. And I want to say, Hannah, where is Hannah Rice? Thank you so much for getting. Is, was the idea for us to sign this at point? We don't need to. That's okay. But this is for you guys. And so we can, I can shall I put it down there for now? Yeah. We'll take there. That's great. Yeah. Thanks so much. Um, Pastor Scott, if you'll come on up too. And then Pastor Jamie is going to commend the Sevilla family. Um, you, you got it? That's great. He's got it memorized. How about it? Yeah. Yeah. Would you bow with me as we pray? Our Father, we give you thanks this morning for the privilege of partnership in the gospel, that you have given us the privilege of coming alongside choice servants of yours yes. to participate in this kingdom endeavor. Thank you for Rich and for Beth and for Claire and Levi and Sydney and for their participation mm. with us in the work here at Grace Baptist Church. Thank yes. you for the fellowship yes. and the enjoyment for the labors. Yes. The hours uh, alongside with Rich in elder meetings and in working on projects and on, uh, on counseling and encouraging those who struggle 
in even working through things like our child protection policy and uh, in ways of encouraging uh, our young people. And Lord, thank you so much for the music ministry, which uh, Rich and uh, Ian Beth as well have, have uh, provided so very much uh, wonderful service. We thank you. We thank you for their partnership. And now, Lord, as they uh, pursue what they understand to be the leading of your spirit, uh, we ask you to go with them, to guide them. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, use them in uh, Hampton Park richly and make them a blessing there. Even as he's uh, made such an impact on the school already as a teacher, we ask, Lord, that that would uh, continue and bear much fruit. We pray, Lord, that you would be with them as they seek uh, a deeper relationship with their son, that you would uh, use that with profound and eternal impact in, in Timothy's life. And Lord, we pray that, uh, in fact, their love would abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment, Lord, that they might approve that which is truly excellent and so be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, that they might bear fruit in righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our God. Equip them, use them, bless them, sustain them, confident, Lord, that you will complete this glorious and wondrous work you have begun in them until the very day of our Savior Jesus. We pray this for Rich, for Beth, as well as for Claire and Sydney and Levi. And we ask these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And so we're going to sing this song. And you got, so if you guys want to come forward, it's great. And we, some of us stand. And if you guys want to stand with dad as he plays, that'd be great. See dad. It's great. Let's stand. Sing together.